August 21st, 2019, another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, folks, and making us part of your week. Do me a favor if you can. If you uh, are a fan of the show, go out and tell a few people about the show, or next time we post something on on Facebook or Twitter, tag the show. Because the thing about That's What G Said, we don't really have any big platforms and the show is growing and we're getting great numbers, but I need your help kind of being ambassadors for the show, help spreading the news. So for those of you who, you know, your your friends like fantasy football, let them know. This episode, we're going to talk some fantasy football or they're fans of the Raiders or the show Hard Knocks. We're going to recap and break the show down or they like horse racing you will not find more in-depth horse racing analysis. You'll find some really good stuff out there, but there are not many people who will break it down as in-depth for you because that's the way that I personally handicap about WWE recaps of Raw and SmackDown. We're going to talk a little King of the Ring in here. So let everybody know. I mean, over the first few months of That's What G Said podcast, we have literally discussed every single sport, uh, television show recaps, wrestling, Pop culture, news, history, segments, interviews, you name it, we're going to do it. And the one thing I really, really want, I want to hear more from you out there, folks. So anything that you want to hear, if there's something fun, interesting, uh, maybe a stat from one of the teams that you root for that you share, maybe you'd like to hear a little more discussion um, on a particular sport, maybe there's a TV show out there that you're interested in, let me know. I'm going to try to, you know, always have at least one or two shows that we're doing the weekly recaps on. It's a little easier to recap one episode each week than it is when, you know, Netflix or Amazon drops a a 10-part series because then that's a little bit tough because when we're all watching it, we're all on different places and different points. So the the week-to-week shows that come out are, are a little a little easier to recap. Right now we're doing the recaps of Beverly Hills 90210, so... Let everyone know, you know, tune in for 15, 20 minutes, tune out. That's why I have a bunch of different segments. I want to try to attract as many people as possible. So as you as you heard, we're going to have uh, a show that's a lot of football today. We'll talk a little horse racing with a, a Thursday best bet, and then we'll have a little WWE at the end, Raw, SmackDown, and a King of the Ring update. Uh, we mentioned the, the full recap on, the, on Raiders Hard Knocks Episode 3. There was a weird bit of news that just came out right before I started recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Major League Baseball, I had to read this a couple times. The use of gas station sexual enhancement pills in baseball is so prevalent that MLB sent out a memo warning players that their use could lead to positive PED tests. At least two players have claimed this year. What a bizarre story this is. The use of over-the-counter pills, which are often sold at gas stations, is prevalent among baseball players. It prompted the league to send out a memo on Monday that outlines the risk of consuming these non-NSF-certified supplements. This is an article on ESPN from Jeff Passan. These products are often contaminated with prohibited and unsafe ingredients that players are subject to discipline even if they inadvertently ingested a banned substance. In the memo, which was sent to major and minor league players and redistributed by the MLB Players Association to ensure its members received it, MLB suggested that players who suffer from erectile dysfunction or other legitimate issues related to sexual performance must speak to a licensed physician about the various prescription medications available to treat those conditions. 
We know from experience that a number of these sexual or male enhancement products which are sold online at retail stores and on the black market, both in the U.S. and internationally, contain anabolic steroids and other prohibited substances. It's a bizarre story, right? (laughs) I'm sure there are some players out there that are taking these to use them for what they're for, right? For the sexual enhancement. But I'm sure there are a lot of players who have found maybe a loophole that these give you some kind of a and up, right? Weird story. But that's what we're all about. Weird stories to start the show. Let's get to on this day, August the 21st. Famous things that have happened in history on August the 21st. 1264. Kublai Khan accepts the surrender of his brother at the end of the Mongol Civil War. 1541, the Ottoman Turks under Suleiman the Magnificent capture Buda, the capital of the Hungarian kingdom, and they go on to dominate central Hungary for 150 years. Let's skip uh, a couple hundred years now. A couple. We're up to 1911. The Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre. 1915, Italy declares war on Turkey, World War I. 1931, Babe Ruth. Hits home run number 600. 1932, Wes Farrell was the first to win 20 games in each of his four seasons. Imagine in this day and age, a pitcher winning 20 games four seasons in a row. They never, most pitch, a lot of pitchers don't even get 20 starts throughout the season with all the openers, with all the, you know, the phantom IL trips, with the five man rotations and people getting days in between. We just don't see starters go. Enough games to win 20 games four years in a row. 1947 was the first Little League World Series. Little League World Series going on right now. Williamsport, Pennsylvania. 1967. Ken Harrelson became becomes baseball's first free agent. Think about that now. In the world that we live in with all the, especially basketball, we think about free agency right now. We're thinking about basketball and all the player movement and how that has been insane. In the last two years, there's been more than probably the 20 years prior. And Ken Harrelson was the first free agent in baseball in 1967 on this day. 1982, Raleigh Fingers became the first pitcher to get save number 300. 1987, Dirty Dancing, starring Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey, opens in the U.S. Because I've had the time of my life. Oh, here we go. Another another little singing tidbit for you. Even though I just made that singing tidbit up. It was just Dirty Dancing. I had to sing the Dirty Dancing song. 2001, How You Remind Me, the single released by Nickelback. Never made it as a wise man. I couldn't count it as a poor man stealing. Tired of living like a blind man. I'm sick of someone out a sense of feeling And this is how you remind me of what really Good song That that start though, it always gets you, huh? 2008 Carly Lloyd scores an extra time to beat Brazil 1-0 In the women's gold medal final and I wanted to bring this up because Carly Lloyd was at Philadelphia Eagles practice yesterday and she drilled a 55-yard field goal. 
It was all over social media. People were loving it. Just crushed a nice 55-yarder. Carly Lloyd, that women's U.S. team, they have been good really forever. On this day. Okay, let's get into the uh, the fantasy football discussion. We're going to talk running backs and quarterbacks today. So let's go through the, the tiers, the rankings, where it starts with your running backs. I think there are, depending on what kind of a league you're in, right? We have uh, standard leagues, PPR leagues, half-point PPR leagues. There's best ball leagues now out there. There are IDP leagues, which I just drafted my team. It's an individual defensive player league. Uh, The scoring in, in all these leagues is slightly different, right? But what most of them are are gravitating towards now are... You know, the PPR type leagues where you're getting extra points for catch. The standard leagues are leagues where, you know, the running backs are going to be a little bit more important, especially towards the top. Because that's a little more valuable for you. And the one, the one thing that's become really crazy in fantasy football over the last few years, unless you're playing in a two quarterback lead, a league, quarterbacks have really become devalued. There are not a a ton of quarterbacks that you really want to spend on early because quarterbacks are, the the position is so deep. There's legitimately twenty to twenty two that are going to get you fantasy points. Now, one thing I will always remind you: remember, fantasy football is not real football. Players don't have to really be great or even efficient to be. Good fantasy football players, high-scoring fantasy football players, and players that can help you win your league. Blake Bortles was a very good fantasy football scorer a few years back. In particular, when you're talking about some of the quarterbacks, if the quarterbacks can run a little bit, get you an extra 20, 30, 40 yards, that is huge. That gives them a really, really nice floor. So let's start with quarterbacks. We'll go. Uh, we'll start with running backs, and then we'll move to quarterbacks. Let's start first the top of the draft, because most drafts that you're in have a tier of running backs at the very top. And that tier generally includes Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, and Alvin Kamara. Because right now, what are we going to do with Ezekiel Elliott? Threatening to hold out. Remember last year, Le'Veon Bell held out the entire year, and some of us got stuck with Le'Veon Bell as a first-round pick, and we got nothing out of him. Do you want to make Ezekiel Elliott your first round pick and he may not play? Now here's here's the debate. If he was right now in camp, he might be the number 1 overall ranked player. And if anybody picked him number 1, you wouldn't even think twice about it. He would 100% be in that top tier with Saquon Bar- with Barkley, McCaffrey and Kamara. And I would probably pick Ezekiel Elliott one over all of them. But right now, I just had the fifth pick in the league that I draft, in the one league I've drafted so far, and I did not pick him. I went with Nick Chubb instead. So that's the big debate in, in, in a lot of the drafts right now. When do you draft Ezekiel Elliott? When do you draft Melvin Gordon? For me, I'm okay with drafting Ezekiel Elliott 
at the end of round one, right when round two begins. So if you have a pick, that's one of the last two picks in the first round. So let's say it's a 10, ta- a 10 team league. If you're nine or 10, if it's a 12 team league, if you're 11 or 12, if it's bigger, I want to make sure I'm only picking him at the very end of the first round because then I can get at least another near first round talent with him. If you pick Ezekiel Elliott like number one or two overall and then you don't get to draft again for a while and he sits out, that could just crush your team. And I'm not willing to take that chance at this time. I'm willing to take that chance if you're at the very end of the first round. That's when I'm able to take a chance on on Zeke. And that was actually a question that was asked by the Time Skew podcast. At Time Skew Pod on Twitter. They are a really good fantasy football podcast, so make sure to check them out. Um, they use stats, strategy, analysts to help you. Good follow on Twitter. Check them out. At Time Skew Pod. They had asked, what draft position are you taking Zeke right now? I'm willing to take Zeke very end of the first round. I'm still looking at Barkley, McCaffrey, Kamara, Johnson, and Chubb, as far as the running backs are concerned, ahead of him. James Conner, because that next tier of running backs, they st- they worry me. I would still prefer Elliott over James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, and Joe Mixon. Because I think Elliott obviously has the upside more than any of them. When we get in that first tier, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, you're not going to go wrong with any of them, right? You're not going to lose your draft by picking one of them. They should be solid. Of all three of them, though, I am the most concerned about Saquon. And I probably would not, I would, if I have the number one pick in any, any draft, I'm not taking Barkley. I'm going to take McCaffrey. Last year, McCaffrey was on the field for 91% of the snaps. He had 326 touches. He, again, could have 200 rushes and 100 receptions. There's been a little bit of buzz that they're going to try to tamper his workload a bit. With who? There's nobody there. There's nobody else there in that backfield. Cam Newton was much better with that touch pass to the running backs last year. He started to figure out where McCaffrey's going to be. Because remember, Cam's not really a finesse passer. He's got a big arm. He's been a runner, very athletic. But finesse passing in small windows and and short little drop-offs wasn't always his game. But he improved quite a bit last year in feeding McCaffrey the ball. He's bigger. He's bulked up a little bit. I have McCaffrey as my number one player on the board. I absolutely love him. And then I'd actually pick, of of those three, I'd have McCaffrey, Kamara, and then Barkley. I'm just concerned about the bad team that is the Giants right now. Uh, Heard a stat that Barkley last year in a packed box, when the defenses were packing the box against the run, he was one of the worst running backs in the league, like one of the five worst that qualified. He's going to get a lot of, of packed boxes to deal with this year, right? There's no Odell Beckham. Golden Tate's out for the first few for a while, first few games. And the only reason why I think last year he probably didn't have to deal with it even more was because the Giants were coming back and they were bad and they were having to come back from games a lot. And that might be the case again. So you might be able to get a, some garbage time with him in late, you know, late game situations when they're driving and he's just catching little dump offs. That's fine. I don't think he's going to be a bust. But if you're talking about number one overall pick. I prefer, I prefer McCaffrey and Kamara. If I had the third overall pick, 
and Barkley was there at three, then I would take him. But just in this tippity tip top tier, I want McCaffrey, I want Kamara. Ezekiel Elliott, the next tier, with David Johnson, with Nick Chubb, and then Jay- Connor, Le'Veon Bell, Joe Mixon. I'm not high on any of them. I- I'm not going to have Ch- um, Connor, Bell, or Mixon in any of my drafts. But Chubb, this is why I picked him. They just traded Duke Johnson. Last year, from week eight on, when he started to really get in the mix, he was running back six, Nick Chubb. I think he's got a very safe floor with a good offense. They're going to be driving a lot. I think he's going to have lots of opportunities to get into the end zone. And now with the trade of Duke Johnson, he's going to be on the field a lot. I expect him to catch more passes. I'm very, very high on Nick Chubb. Let's get down. Uh, yeah, you know, I, as I mentioned, Connor, Bell, Mixon, we'll, I'll steer clear from. And then what do you do with Todd Gurley? The risk with Todd Gurley and the reward is absolutely huge. But I'm a Rams fan. This is a weird situation. I'm hearing lots of negatives. Not really anything positive to do with Todd Gurley. But wow, I mean... If he's on the field with the opportunity that he's going to get for the Rams, the opportunity that any running back is going to get in in that Rams backfield, he's another one. Like, I mean, what do you with Ezekiel Elliott, with Todd Gurley, and with Melvin Gordon? That's what makes this running back part of the draft so tricky early on because those are three major backs that we have a lot of question marks about, right? Like, legitimately. Those three backs could be three of the top five backs if they were healthy and played the full season. I'm going to probably steer clear of Todd Gurley. The injuries scare me a little bit. But you may want to handcuff Todd Gurley. And the the one handcuff who everybody was talking about early on for the Rams was Daryl Henderson, who I actually picked in this league. But as of late, Malcolm Brown has started to kind of get a little buzz as he might be the clear handcuff. So that Rams backfield is one that's a really good backfield, but it's a backfield that I'm I'm going to steer clear of. And we'll go through, I have the tiers of backfields to avoid, backfields that are fine, they could go either way, and then solid backfields. And a backfield to avoid is absolutely the Rams' backfield for me. Because I don't know, is it going to be Gurley? How much is Gurley going to be in there with Henderson and with Brown? And then if Gurley gets hurt, who is the clear handcuff to him right now? It, will it just be a, a work share? I'm not really sure what's going to happen there. I prefer those Rams wide receivers where I think you can get value with all three of them, to be honest. Okay, after Gurley, you have Dalvin Cook, Carrion Johnson, Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones, and, and maybe that next group. I like Dalvin Cook. And I, I in particular, I, I like Dalvin Cook if he's your running back too. We know the issue with Dalvin, right? He's had injuries, big injuries so far throughout his career. But when he's healthy, he's very good. So I think if, if you can get him as your as your RB2, to end last season, he had 17, 18, 20, 19, and 17 touches per game. And what I like about Dalvin is he's not, he was injured early in the year last year. He's not coming directly off of an injury right now. So he's in good form at the moment. Carry on Johnson willing to take as a RB2. Marlon Mack, he's in a great situation. Indy is projected to have one of the top five offensive lines in the league. And I think he's going to get a lot of touches. So RB2s, I don't mind. Dalvin Cook, Carry on Johnson, Marlon Mack. 
all of them in the mix, all fine in standard and PPR because they're both going to get involved in the passing game. They're uh, all three of them are going to get involved in the passing game. Then you have Aaron Jones, who might be better than all of them, but what type of situation do you expect for Aaron Jones in the backfield? Now, they, there's been some talk of a timeshare with Dexter Williams and Jamal Williams. But when we're just talking pure talent, Aaron Jones is really, really good. And I think he's by far the best in that backfield, but is he going to get the opportunity? Melvin Gordon's the next one. What do you do with Melvin Gordon? I have to stay away from him. I'm very, very concerned with everything that I've been reading about Melvin Gordon and that he may be holding out this entire season. So Melvin Gordon won't be on many of my teams. Now, this is right now. If we get information and things change, then you have to change and alter your opinion a little bit. This next tier, there are a couple running backs that I really like. Leonard Fournette. Love him this year. Last year, terrible. But his O-line was really banged up and he had bad quarterback play to deal with. Bortles in and out of the lineup. Kessler was in the mix there. He was inefficient when he played. Only 3.3 yards per carry. I just have a feeling this is going to be a completely different season. With a new quarterback, a little bit better offense. Fournette could be a legitimate RB1 and a workhorse. I'm going to try to focus in and pinpoint on on Leonard Fournette in as many leagues as I can. And I'm kind of the opposite with Damian Williams. Really cold on Damian Williams. I like the Kansas City backfield, but I don't think he's the best running back in that Kansas City backfield. And he is getting drafted way too high for my liking for someone who who has not proven as a fantasy football workhorse ever. In that KC backfield, I think Darwin Thompson is the best player, is the, the best running back, and probably the running back to have. Carlos Hyde is also in the mix there. He has not looked good. He has been old early on in this in the uh, the preseason. And then Darwin Williams, who's the knock on him was his blocking. Maybe he wasn't quite ready from a blocking standpoint. And he has been very good early on in reading the uh, the defenses, finding out where to when to pick up the blocks. I think he's a a must handcuff in a lot of your leagues because I feel like towards you know the middle part of this season he's going to be the starting running back there. I Damian Williams is one that I'm really really cold on just. Because he's getting drafted way, way too high. He's getting drafted like a, a workhorse RB1 and, uh, you know, into the RB2 range. And I don't see that happening. I just don't. Derrick Henry, I'm, I'm fine with Derrick Henry. He should have plenty of opportunities. They have a very good offensive line there. He's not someone I love, but I'm not going to talk you off. Next two, I'm, I think you're going to have really good years. Uh, Devontae Freeman. Atlanta got some offensive line help with a couple first-round picks. Drafted a guard and a tackle. They still need to improve there, but I expect a big bounce-back year for Devontae Freeman. Coleman's out of the picture now. It's just Edo Smith over there, and I don't know how much of a true challenge he will give to Devontae Freeman as far as taking carries away. So I think Freeman, you can get him the opportunity to bounce back. Chris Carson. Really high on Chris Carson this year. They run the ball very well. I think he's going to have a, a big a big share. Chris Cons- Chris Carson. I'm fine with him. Josh Jacobs. I'm not targeting, but if he if he fell to the the right spot, I would. Um, I'm I'm a little bit against Josh Jacobs though, just in the fact that 
Oakland might not be a great team, and I just I don't necessarily want a workhorse running back from a bad team. I'd prefer a running back on a bad team that can really catch some passes too. And you know, like Sony Michelle, I actually like James White more out of that very same backfield for the the reason that I said because he can catch more passes out of the backfield. And Sony Michelle, I worry a little bit about. Um, but that New England backfield is an awesome backfield. You could. I wouldn't really talk you off picking Sony Michelle. I just slightly prefer James White. The Chicago backfield is one, the Bears, that I'm going to stay away from a little bit because I'm not quite sure what to expect from David Montgomery. I'm not quite sure well, what role he will play with Tevin Coleman in the mix too and Mike Davis in the mix. Mike Davis, remember, he was a nuisance for a lot of fantasy owners last year. Up in Seattle When he was taking uh, Catches and touchdowns away from Carson And from Penny And he could be a nuisance again in this backfield Because we know Cohen isn't a workhorse You know what you're going to get from Tariq Cohen He's a good PPR back Better in PPR Not quite as good in standard Montgomery will probably be the opposite A little bit more valuable in standard He's going at they're going right next to each other right now, Montgomery and Cohen, in like a lot of the ESPN drafts I'm looking at. Like overall, they're going as picks number 59 and 60. So, in a lot of situations, you're trying to have to make that decision on which one of those two do you want to go with. And a lot of it will depend on which league that you're in, what kind of a league that you're in. Mark Ingram, I think, is is okay. He's probably safe for the first few weeks. But th- there's a lot of buzz coming out of Baltimore that Justice Hill is a good handcuff and maybe someone to draft a little later on. So we're up that's Mark Ingram and in, in, in what I'm using is the number 24 ranked running back, Philip Lindsay, Tevin Coleman, Lamar Miller, the next few. I'm against Philip Lindsay. I won't be drafting him very much with the addition uh in the backfield of Theo Riddick to catch passes. And then the, the buzz of Royce Freeman continues. I'm worried that Philip Lindsay won't be able to get the kind of touches that he got last year. Same thing in San Francisco. I mean, a look up in San Francisco, and you have Tevin Coleman there, but you also have to worry about Matt Breida and McKinnon. So I, I'm I'm gonna steer clear of the San Francisco backfield. It's one of the backfields to avoid. Miles Sanders in Philly. I think another backfield to avoid. What's going to happen in Philadelphia? We have Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, and Darren Sproles. We have Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, and Nelson Aguilar. We have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Tons of weapons. I just don't want to use any of those running backs because I think each week it could be a different one. Lamar Miller's safe. Like Nobody is loves drafting Lamar Miller. But if he's hanging around there and he's going to be your RB3, that's you know, that's fine. He's he's safe. He doesn't have a high ceiling, but he you know, you'll you'll probably get 8 to 10 a week with with Lamar Miller. He won't lose you games. I think a big handcuff is Latavius Murray. If you're drafting Alvin Kamara, make sure to get Murray cuz I think Murray will have some standalone value as it is. He's going to play the Mark Ingram role, and we saw Mark Ingram was was a valuable fantasy player in New Orleans. But could you imagine if Kamara goes down, then Latavius Murray becomes extremely valuable. And now we're starting to get to the point now when you get past like the top 30 
35 running backs, you're starting to look at, okay, if they're not starting for me and they're sitting on my bench, do I want someone who is just going to be picking up 6, 8, 10 points or do I want someone who might not get anything, but if somebody gets hurt, they're going to be the next guy. I'm always going to take the high upside guys versus the guys with the with the high floor and not really a high ceiling. Once you're past your starters, right? So now we're looking at Rashad Penny, Kenyon Drake, Cohen, Royce Freeman, Darius Geis, Austin Eckler, Jordan Howard. Of all of them, Royce Freeman's a little bit interesting just because he could be the workhorse if Philip Lindsay gets hurt. Darius Geis, he's had to suffer injuries. I'm I'm just gonna be watching him a little bit. Austin Eckler of if there's no Gordon. Eckler's a nice and a good PPR back, but I think we've realized with Eckler, very similar to Cohen, they can't be, same thing with Philip Lindsay. I don't know if they're big enough and if they can absorb the punishment to be your every down back between the tackles. Jordan Howard is in that really crowded Philly backfield. I just have no idea what to do with them. I'm steering clear of Kalen Blage in Miami. Just Miami in general, it's a bad team. I don't really want backs on a bad team in a in a backfield where I don't really know what's going to happen. Daryl Henderson, I think okay for a handcuff and Malcolm Brown as you get a little bit later because if Gurley gets out, the two of them will probably have some value, but you don't want to go high on Daryl Henderson or or Malcolm Brown. And that's one pick where if I could go back on on we're going to go through the team that I drafted. If I could go back, that's probably one of the picks that I would I would go back I think I, I just drafted Daryl Henderson a little too um a little too high. Matt Breida in that San Francisco backfield, I don't really want to deal with. You know, Adrian Peterson's in the Washington backfield. The Washington backfield has Darius Geis, Chris Thompson, Adrian Peterson, and they drafted Bryce Love. I, I I'm steering clear of them. The Buffalo backfield. What do we do with this Buffalo backfield, right? LaShawn McCoy has been a very good fantasy player before. This offensive line is a little bit better. Josh Allen should improve. As you get a little later down, LaShawn McCoy is going to pick 102. That's not bad. You're not wasting a high pick on on LaShawn McCoy, so if he busts, he's not going to hurt you there. And then if you take LaShawn McCoy, I would recommend taking Devin Singletary, who I've heard lots of positive about as someone who could maybe steal the job. By midseason. Or if LaShawn McCoy suffers an injury and Devil Singletary is able to take over because Frank Gore, he won't really be your number one back. He'll just kind of be a backup as we've seen and he's not going to get 20 carries a game in any situation, really. Adrian Peterson, Ronald Jones, Peyton Barber. Like, Ronald Jones had such a bad year. It was a really good Trojan. Such a bad year last year. I think offensively, they're going to be better. They have plenty of weapons, but I have no idea what's going to happen between Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber. I'm steering clear of that Tampa backfield. Get down to the uh, the 45 through 65 running backs. Really like Duke Johnson. And Duke Johnson was traded now to Houston. He will be a change of pace back. And Duke Johnson is better than Lamar Miller. He could very well be the lead back here in just a few weeks. He's going to catch a lot of passes out of the backfield and he will be a very good PPR back. So if you're in PPR leagues, 
upgrade Duke Johnson quite a bit. Deion Lewis in the PPR leagues, you'll upgrade, but in standard leagues, no, because he just it's it's tough to figure to to determine which are going to be Deion Lewis games when they're behind. He'll he'll get opportunities more opportunities than uh, than Henry will. But I had Deion Lewis last year; it was a bit disappointing, and I don't I don't see why it's going to change this year. Question marks about Carlos Hyde in KC. If Damian Williams goes down, maybe. But as I mentioned, I prefer Darwin Thompson, who is blocking really, really well through his two good preseason games. And I'm, I'm going to stash him on most of my teams. Mentioned Devin Singletary. He's in this kind of group that you may want to take a shot on. Jalen Samuels is one that a lot of people are taking a shot on in Pittsburgh. The only worry I have uh, about Jalen Samuels in, in Pittsburgh is... They drafted a rookie, Benny Snell Jr., so maybe he's the guy. Like if James Conner goes down, it might be Benny Snell who's the actual three-down back and Jalen Samuels who's more at the change of pace. So I think Jalen Samuels is one who will be better served in your PPR leagues. Justin Jackson for the Chargers. He would probably be, if Melvin Gordon's not in, he will be they'll probably be splitting time with Jackson and Eckler, but he'll be more of the between the tackles back. Justice Hill is a nice handcuff as you get later. Rookie with some, uh, young with some talent, with some upside, could be leading that Baltimore backfield by week six. Ito Smith, not high on CJ Anderson. I, I, I don't see it. Kareem Hunt, he's not going to be back till week eight. And then, you know, if, if Chubb has done well, what kind of a role will Hunt have? Mike Davis. Maybe for your later PPR leagues Starting to get into a group of Where a, a lot of these I think will probably be deep in your drafts Or hopefully players that you don't have to roster Alexander Madison If you pick Cook, Dalvin Cook Handcuff him with Madison Because it looks like Madison is going to be your handcuff now uh, And then Malcolm Brown Darwin Thompson And Tony Pollard Of the deeper backs are the ones who I would pick Because Tony Pollard if if Zeke is gone and, and Zeke Elliott's not playing, he's going to be at least sharing the responsibilities there with Morris, with a great offensive line in Dallas. I think Pollard is worthy of a stash late. Remember how valuable James Conner turned out to be last year after Le'Veon Bell didn't show up? So we could be getting from, from Pollard. And I don't think that valuable, but I think he could absolutely be an every week fantasy starter. If Ezekiel Elliott isn't there Is your running backs So we go through the, the teams Some of the teams that I like And we'll go through the teams that I don't like Miami, backfield to avoid They have a bad line and a bad team I'm, I'm going to be steering clear of Kenyon Drake And Kalen Balaj Philadelphia, that backfield is too crowded The ball's going to be spread around too much They have an awesome offensive line And just a really good team in general But I don't think any one of their Running backs in particular are going to help you Win your games week in and week out Might just be a frustrating situation You look at Washington With the Geis injuries With Peterson there now With Thompson for passes And then they drafted Bryce Love That's way too crowded for me We go to Tampa They have a bad O-line Barber and Jones Neither one of them are really sexy Gonna have to see more The Chargers I'm gonna avoid this backfield Because the Melvin Gordon uncertainty If he comes in then Eckler and and Jackson, they lose a ton of their value. But if he's not there, those two could be much more valuable. So right now, 
It's a backfield to avoid because I just don't know what the lay of the land is. Same thing with the Rams and with that girly uncertainty. When I say avoid, I'm saying avoid early, right? I'm okay with taking a an Eckler or a Jackson late if it's past where their ADP is. I'm okay with taking a Malcolm Brown or a Henderson late. I don't want to go high for them though because if Gurley's there and he's playing every time, that's just going to end up being a wasted spot. Same thing with Dallas. I'm okay with Pollard late, but I don't want to go too high because if Zeke comes back, then that's just going to be a, a wasted pick. I'm avoiding Dallas early. I'm avoiding Denver early with Lindsey, with Freeman, with Reddick, with Theo Riddick. Flacco's going to be in the mix now with a new, it's a completely new team. A new quarterback to deal with. The 49ers with Coleman, with Brita, with McKinnon. Steering clear of that backfield. And then the Raiders with a bad line and a rookie. I'm going to steer clear of that backfield early. Here are the backfields that could go either way. The Jets. Gase doesn't run a ton of plays, but you do have Le'Veon Bell and an improved Sam Darnold. They also have a kind of crowded backfield too. Ty Montgomery and Blau Powell's back in the mix there. Buffalo. Could go either way, right? LaShawn McCoy has shown the ability to be a top-tier fantasy player, but this team could be bad. They could be behind in a lot of games, and you could get Josh Allen running for some extra touchdowns that could kind of vulture you. But they do have some Singletary upside. Gore and McCoy proven. What about the Bengals? Joe Mixon could be great, but they have a bad O-line and a bad team. He's in that backfields that could go either way group. Same thing with the Ravens. Ingram. Solid back. The Justice Hill hype. The Ravens are going to run the ball a lot with Lamar Jackson. So he could vulture some touchdowns there. Could go either way. The Bears. Montgomery, Cohen, Mike Davis. They're all going to hurt each other's value. The Lions. It looks like it's a good situation for on Johnson. But... There's already been some talk that he may not be on the field as much as he should be. So another situation that could go either way. You have the Packers. They have a good line. Aaron Jones, very talented, massive upside. Could see this being a a good backfield or one where, you know, as the Packers do, they throw the ball a lot and they don't really have a, a huge running game. The Vikings, if Cook stays healthy, that's a good backfield. Atlanta, same thing. If Freeman stays healthy, that's gonna be a good, a good running game. The Colts have a great O-line and it should be a nice situation for Mac. but if Andrew Luck isn't playing, then maybe the situation isn't great. So that's why all of these teams are in this middle could go either way because you could see scenarios where they could be fine or where they could really be a negative. The Texans, the addition of Duke Johnson will really help give them a one-two punch and will help take a little pressure off Deshaun Watson. The Jaguars with Fournette, they've a better QB now. The healthy offensive line, I think Fournette's going to have a big year. Titans have a good offensive line with Henry and with Lewis. It gives them a nice change of pace in the backfield. Seattle has a bad line, but they run very well with Carson and with Penny. KC, Damian Williams, high Darwin Thompson, talent, good scheme, but still some question marks about that backfield. Then Arizona, David Johnson has the ability to be one of the best backs in the league, but they have a bad line and a new offense. And they haven't thrown... Uh, Kingsbury didn't throw the ball a whole lot to running backs. Maybe that'll change with uh, with Johnson here. 
And I think the really solid backfields. You have the Giants with Saquon, who's the workhorse. So, I mean, I'm not going to... I don't love Saquon and the Giants as much as I love the top two. But if you're in the top five, you're still going to take Saquon because he should get a ton of work. The Patriots with James White, with Sony Michelle, they should get even more work without Gronk around. The Browns, very good offense. Chubb should be the workhorse till Kareem Hunt returns. Pittsburgh, good offensive line with Connor in the backfield. Samuels maybe as a PPR, and they drafted Benny Snell. I think they've got a good backfield, and they'll be good no matter who they plug in there. The Saints with Kamara and with Murray, solid. And then the Panthers with McCaffrey. Let's get to your quarterbacks. Now, we don't have to spend nearly as much time talking about quarterbacks because the biggest piece of advice I'll give you on a quarterback is try to wait as long as you can. Remember, Josh Allen might not be a great real quarterback. Mitch Trubinsky might be okay. But when it comes to fantasy, they're really good. Because of the rushing. Mitch Trubisky rushed for 40 yards five different times last year. Lamar Jackson was quarterback eight from when he started last year moving on. There were a lot of drafts where Tom Brady isn't even getting drafted. He was quarterback 17 last year. So at the top, you have Mahomes, you have Watson. I'm not picking Mahomes in any league. I'm concerned that he just regresses a little bit. And is the difference between Mahomes... And, you know, Matt Ryan Or what you'd get from Lamar Jackson Even going to be that big? No, you're going to get a lot more rushing from Jackson So Mahomes If you pick him early You won't lose your league because you picked him early Deshaun Watson Again, he has the rushing a little And and that's going to give him more of a a floor I actually prefer Watson over Mahomes If you're going to draft a high quarterback But the the highest I want to go to pick my quarterback Is Baker And if you're asking when is the okay time to draft a quarterback, I think I'm okay with drafting a quarterback when your team has your starters. Give me your two running backs, your two wide receivers, then I'm okay with going with the quarterback. But if you're not going to get Baker or Matt Ryan, then I'm going to really wait. So the two that I'm 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 okay with targeting are Baker and Matt Ryan in the the second tier. I don't really want to go for Mahomes, for Watson, for Rodgers. I'm okay with going Baker and Matt Ryan. They're kind of your fourth and fifth ranked quarterbacks right now. If I can't get a Baker or a Matt Ryan, I'm staying away from Andrew Luck with some of the injury concerns. I'm not a big fan of Cam Newton. He's gotten banged up a bunch the last couple years. Carson Wentz, another one with injury concerns. I'm going to stay away from Russell Wilson. The That offense, I haven't really loved the last few years. Uh, Drew Brees is starting to drop down, and his age concerns me. I'm okay with Goff, but the problem with Goff is he doesn't run a lot. So I'm looking at some of these running quarterbacks. Like You're going to get some rushing from Baker. You're not going to get any from Matt Ryan, but he's about as steady of a passer as as they as they come back there. And then, if I'm not getting Baker or Matt Ryan, I'm going to go all the way down to Lamar Jackson. I'm going to give Lamar Jackson a look. I don't really want Big Ben. I think he's going to regress a little bit there this year without Antonio Brown. Uh, Dak Prescott, I'm not really sold on him. Then I'm looking at Mitch Trubisky, who has some upside. And then I'm looking at Josh Allen. 
So for me, I'm I want either Baker, Matt Ryan. I'm okay with Goff. Take Lamar Jackson, Trubinsky, or Josh Allen. That's who I want. You know, Matt Ryan has had the most fantasy points of any fantasy football player the last three years. People kind of forget that about him. Those are the quarterbacks that I will target. And those are the quarterbacks that I'll kind of stay stay away from. But the one piece of advice I'll give you, unless you're drafting in a two-quarterback league, don't overdraft your quarterback. Don't reach for your quarterback. Wait, 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 wait. Stack up those wide receivers and those running backs the best that you can. So here is the first team that I drafted. And this team is an individual defensive position team. Uh, This is an individual defensive player league, IDP league. And... Okay, so here's here's my my squad. It's a 12-team individual defensive uh, player league. And here's my squad. My quarterback is Baker Mayfield. My wide receivers, Robert Woods, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson. So with Robert Woods as my number one wide receiver, I'm a little weak at the wide receivers, because I'm I'm pretty strong, I think, at the running backs. I have Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, and Devontae Freeman. Now, this is a three-wide receiver league with an extra flex. So, you have a quarterback, three wide receivers, two running backs, a tight end, then a flex. You have six bench spots, a kicker, a defense. You have a defensive back, a defensive lineman, and a linebacker that you start. So for me, Baker Mayfield, Robert Woods, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Vance McDonald, Devontae Freeman. That's my starting lineup. Robbie Gould's my kicker. Indy's my D. John Johnson, Sam Hubbard, and Leighton Van Der Esch are my defensive players. My bench, D.D. Westbrook, Daryl Henderson Jr., Jameson Crowder, Mark Andrews, Devin Singletary, and Darwin Thompson. So looking at this team right off the bat, my running backs are strong. My wide receivers are a little weak. So if I could have done this over, or maybe at some point throughout the year, I'm going to have to try to trade. If Devontae Freeman or Dalvin Cook are having really good starts to the year, maybe I could use them to trade for like a legit number one wide receiver. Because Robert Woods, he's, he's steady, but he's not a number one wide receiver. So when I drafted Nick Chubb first, I had to make the decision, okay, who's going to be my second pick here? And I ended up going with Dalvin Cook on the way back. And after that, there were not a lot of wide receivers around. So perhaps my next approach when I'm drafting my next team is I'll go a little higher with wide receivers and maybe wait for some of the running backs to fall a little bit later. Because I do think we can still get a little bit of value later on with with running backs. So the next draft I have, I'll probably target and try to get some, some higher top tier receivers. And we'll see how these two leagues will compare to each other. I asked for some of your posts on uh, Facebook and Twitter what you thought. Adam, Super Adam B. He said, Gordon in the, in the third round, sign a contract now. Yeah, because you imagine if Gordon signs, and then he mentions Gronk in the 14th, so he's going to take a flyer on Gronk coming back. He'll sit him on the bench maybe for a few weeks and see if Gronk returns. Mark Rossini checks in. Nice, Mark. He says, yeah, the rules of all these leagues can be different. Yeah, Mark, as I go through them all, I'll try to mention who will be a little bit better in, in particular leagues. Clubhouse Sports Podcast, they tweeted a picture of the team that they drafted. And I think we have a, a lot of similarities on our team. 
Josh, they have Josh Allen, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Hopkins, uh, Robert Woods, Vance McDonald, Jacobs from Oakland, running back, the Colts D, Rosas is the kicker, and then his bench, Montgomery, Sammy Watkins, David Montgomery, Sammy Watkins, Christian Kirk, Samuel, wide receiver from Carolina, uh, Matt Breida, Kiki QT, Robbie Anderson, the name of the team, to Pimpabawa. That was the Clubhouse Sports Podcast at Pod Clubhouse on Twitter. Toastman from Philly said the funniest pick ever in our league, Frank Lewis, wide receiver Bill, retired for five years at the time. The drafter looked at his magazine and saw the phrase, who broke record of all pro Frank Lewis? The article was talking about Andy uh, Andre Reed, so he, he just completely whiffed. That was Toastman from Philly. We mentioned the Time Skew podcast. Follow them at Time Skew Pod on Twitter. They asked uh, about Zeke Elliott. He just got into. And then over on Facebook, Ricky Masters says, How long do you think Zeke will hold out now that Jerry has, has pissed him off? Yeah, there were some back and forth about how Jerry Jones said, uh, You know, Zeke who? After a, a couple of good games in the preseason, and that bothered Zeke. Remember last year in the holdout, it was once Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers started talking about James Conner and how much they love James Conner. It seemed like that really started to bother Le'Veon Bell. So remember, these guys have egos. We're all humans. We have emotions. Probably doesn't sit well with Zeke when he hears something like that. I am really nervous about Zeke. I genuinely think he's going to hold out at, at least you know four or five games. That was from Ricky Masters. Paul Bovey mentions a, a bargain. TJ Hawkinson. Okay. We will talk about tight ends and quarter. Uh, we'll talk about tight ends, wide receivers. Yeah, it'll probably be tight ends, wide receivers. And then, I mean, we can do like a small kicker and defense segment, but it'll mainly be tight ends and wide receivers on the, when we do the, uh, the next fantasy football dive. Paul Bovey mentions David Johnson had 80 receptions a couple years ago and figures to be the checkdown choice of Kyler Murray. Great to hear from Paul. Anytime you see a post on Facebook, on Twitter, anywhere out there, make sure to leave your thoughts. It's me, Gino B, is the best way to follow me on Twitter over on Facebook, facebook.com slash Gino Bacola. You can follow me on Instagram, G Bacola. Episode 3 of Raiders Hard Knocks came out last night and it was a short week with a Thursday game. It opened up with the impersonator Frank Caliendo. He came to visit. He doing the Gruden impersonations. He had all the guys laughing. Um, the Antonio Brown issues have everyone talking. Is Gruden is supporting him though. He says he's happy he's sticking up for himself. Antonio Brown shows up at camp. The camp, everyone's happy. He's greeting his teammates. Antonio Brown and Drew Rosenhaus are just are talking. Rosenhaus has a conversation with Gruden. They're talking about the helmet. They're looking for a model made within the last 10 years so that way they can get in a, some loophole. And he tells Gruden, you know, talking about Antonio Brown, he'll kick ass for you and he'll help you win a lot of football games. We see a Bill Romanowski out there talking with Antonio Brown who then addresses the media. AB answers questions and talks. The people from the Madden video game, they're 
Rating representatives and rating adjusters And they're at the Raiders practice And they're trying to adjust some of the the Madden ratings And they're talking to Jonathan Abram Who is just joking with them about how low their ratings are And they all need to be bumped up And you know him, he's got a a ton of, of personality Darren Waller, the tight end We get a good look at Darren Waller in this episode His teammates are calling him the most underrated player on the team He has struggled with addiction issues He is now clean for two years in 2016, he was on the Ravens. He was getting high every day. Opiates, Xanax, cocaine, whatever he could get his hands on. Failing drug tests. Trying to, to sabotage his life and, and, and get out of football. And he went to rehab and that changed everything for him. And he seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders and he's really focused and he's really driven. And he's got some talent. More between the Glennon and Nate Peterman battle for the backup. Lots of inconsistency between those two In practice, Glennon is predictable He's telegraphing things Peterman's a little bit hesitant They have a coaches meeting And they're discussing the quarterbacks Glennon and Peterman and Carr Will all play in this next Preseason game Gruden and uh, Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator Are talking, and you get the feeling Gruden likes Glennon a lot more He seems like he's Kind of Wants to see more out of Glennon, whereas Greg Olson, it feels like Peterman is the guy. He's he, it seems like he's leaning more towards Peterman. Hunter Renfro, five foot ten, hundred and eighty pound wide receiver, short white guy, twenty three years old, and he's he's got a weird uh, hairline, so it almost looks like he's balding. And he's David Carr jokes with him about how he uh, David Carr, Tara Carr jokes with him about. How he looks like he's 37 He reminds me a lot of Alex Caruso From the from the Lakers Who has that really old look They they were joking They said when he first got to Clemson They thought he was the water boy You know Renfro's sticking up for himself Saying hey you know what it's just the hairline My grandpa's got the same hairline I'm not that old He was a walk on Who ended up catching the game winning pass In the national championship a couple years back this guy is a stud slot receiver. Richie Incognito and Antonio Brown, they're talking. AB talking about how he's getting oils on his feet while he's rehabbing. And then AB wants more work and less noise. He feels like he's the enemy of the state. He wants to talk, he wants to talk about how hard he works and not about everything else. Seems like he's feeling better. He's working out with a sports scientist. He says something uh, along the lines of men lie, women lie, but the analytics don't lie. And the analytics are showing that Antonio Brown Ran the most yards quickly When compared to other top wide receivers last year He's looking good in all of his rehab We then check in with tight end Luke Wilson He's with his daddy, he's Canadian He's got the long flowing hair Said when he was young They wanted to be one of the Hanson brothers Little mbop uh, Luke Wilson's getting to know Northern California He's a little self-conscious about his calves Which is funny it Reminds me of Johnny Drama from Entourage and he's only he's one of six tight ends on the on the roster that only four will make. We see the Adonis to hear Whitehead, who is just jacked up, man. Muscles on muscles. Gruden's making a joke with him about how they should be in Santa Monica Pier with the shirt off. Next up, it's film study. They're prepping for Arizona on a short week, and they're prepping for Kyler Murray. Before the game, Antonio Brown is warming up on the field. The Raiders, they're excited that he's there He's wearing the helmet pregame And it's now week two against the Cardinals 
Carr starts. His first pass is complete, and he scores a touchdown on his first drive, and then he's out. We get more from Darren Waller. This team really seems to like him. Glennon misses a wide-open Waller in the end zone, but then Glennon comes right back with a long TD to Gafford and then another TD pass. He showed really good chemistry with Renfro. AB's on the sideline with Gruden. They're having some fun. They're playing well, so they're joking. They're laughing. Gruden says, hey, you can use my helmet anytime. We did see Gruden start to make some quips uh, about the uh, about the helmet and with AB. After the game, Gruden's rallying cry is good players. Good plays into good looks with good players. They looked good. Kyler Murray did not. He was three for eight. He had only twelve yards on one, uh, twelve yards passing, one carry for four yards. He, the safety also, got sacked for a safety. He got lit up. Claylon Farrell, Jonathan Abram were all over him. They were uh, like always. You're gonna get some fun. Discussions when Jonathan Abrams involved They're talking about swallowing their gum And how you shouldn't swallow your gum Just a funny conversation on the bench But Antonio Brown He's playing water boy He loves the drip drops So funny I actually just Learned about drip drops recently And now I Now I see AB with the drip drops He's sharing them with everyone He's telling them how good the flavors are And In comes Nate Peterman And he has a good connection with Keelan Doss Doss had a good game. He had five receptions on five targets. Peterman was eight for eight. He had a really good drive. And Antonio Brown's pumped. Him and Jonathan Abram, they're talking Super Bowl. Abram says people are sleeping on the Raiders' offense. And AB says to, to keep them sleeping. They're joking. They're laughing. Everything looks good in, in Raiderland. They win 33-26. After the game, Antonio Brown goes out to, uh, to midfield to say hello to Kyler Murray. And I do not like Kyler Murray. Every interview I've seen from him before he got drafted, everything, every time I've ever seen him talk, he does not look or sound like a leader or look or sound like someone I would want on my team. He seems very soft to me. And maybe he'll prove me completely wrong. But he says, why they got to bring the house on me? You know, he's joking, but Antonio Brown's telling him, well, you got to get used to it, man. They're going to be coming after you. You know, you're the number one pick and you're fast. And I don't know. He just doesn't seem like a guy that gets it very well. They have fun with Mike Glennon and his long neck Like always And he breaks them in their huddle And they go home And now we see Antonio Brown at practice He's working on plays with the offense He's getting familiar with Carr Everything looks good He's talking with Gruden And he says you know, when it's hot the feet, His feet are burning But he's ready He knows the plays He knows the formations He's been studying Gruden jokes about maybe uh, You should go in for some more cryotherapy To take care of the feet and then Brown thanks him for all the support With the feet, with the helmet And for being on his side It seems like everything is great And then boom Antonio Brown leaves training camp on Sunday The league would not let him use the helmet It really upset Mike Mayock And you could tell that the Raiders are starting to get frustrated Because this, uh, the, one of the last things we see in this episode They say Antonio Brown is not here today He's upset about the helmet issue We have supported that We appreciate that But at this point, we have pretty much exhausted all avenues of relief. From our perspective, it's time for him to be all in or all out. We're hoping he's back soon. We have 89 guys busting their tails. We're really excited about where this franchise is going. And we hope AB is going to be a big part of it starting week one versus Denver. As of Tuesday, he was at camp on the field with the Raiders with the helmet officially certified by the NFL. 
So all next week and all we'll continue to find out each and every day is what is the current and the ongoing saga with Antonio Brown and this helmet issue. It's actually been a really for HBO and for Hard Knocks, it's been great. For the Raiders, it's not because they just get him out on the field. He's so good when he's out on the field. This really scares me. With with the season hasn't started, we've already had the foot issues. We've already had the helmet issue. Then he came back and he looked great, and then he leaves again, and now he's back again. I don't know. I'm a little worried about Brown this year. Man, when he's on the field, he's so good, so good. Okay, let's shift over to. A little horse racing. Some news. Travers Field is set. And we will have a full deep dive of the Travers on the next episode of That's What G Said Podcast, where I will take on all the grade ones and all the stakes races with Scott Shapiro. So make sure if you're looking for some Travers analysis, Look for the next episode of That's What G Said. It'll likely come out on Thursday night, Friday morning, and we'll discuss a lot of the Saturday Travers card at Saratoga, and we'll break down that big race. Catholic boy, he won't be running in the Woodward. He sustained cuts in the Suburban, and he had a blind wolf tooth removed, so they don't know where he's going to be pointed next. They're going to wait and... and Get a work or two back into him Omaha Beach unfortunately Has been rerouted He had an illness that forced him to stop training It was just a virus So he could be training by the end of the week He'll be pointing to the awesome again At a mile and an eighth against Older Where he could hook up with McKenzie Would not be an easy race off the bench For Omaha Beach Controversy this week in the photo finish From the Lake Placid Varenka and Regal Glory Dead heated in the Lake Placid The stewards deemed that the photo finish was too inconclusive to make a decision. And it looked to me and to most people like Regal Glory won that photo. It took over six minutes to examine the photo. This is something that gets horse racing fans in the United States really frustrated. Because there is technology that exists in all sports where it's very quick. We see it in track and field. We see it in Japan and in Hong Kong. Photo finishes come up very quickly It should not take you this long to determine one It's embarrassing It is I love horse racing, I follow it But I follow it so much less Not follow it, but I bet so much less Now than I ever did before Because there's so many things that 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 turn me off That get me sour, and it's things like this Regal Glory won It was not a dead heat whether you backed Varenka or not, you could see Graham Motion even sounded like he thought he knew that Regal Glory won. Chad Brown sure knew that Regal Glory won. It should never take you six minutes to examine and determine a photo finish, ever. Dunbar Road, the Alabama winner, will not likely to be running against Guarana in the Cotillion in Pennsylvania. We'll probably have to face older in either the Beldame or the Spinster, which... Now gives Chad Brown the top two three-year-old fillies. He has Dunbar Road, who's four for five with three graded stakes wins and a grade one win. And Guarana, who's three for three with two grade ones. Higher power wins the Pacific Classic. Now back-to-back Pacific Classics for Sadler, who won it last year with Accelerate. He also has Catalina Cruiser, who won the San Diego and is now cutting back to the Pat O'Brien. He has Giftbox, who won earlier in the year going a mile and a quarter and is 
hoping to work at Del Mar in the coming weeks and be ready to go for the end of the year. And then Faree, who's a really nice allowance horse now, who's won three in a row and had some back class early on in his career. Got a good hand with the older. Concrete Rose, probably the best three-year-old filly on the grass, was is now out for the rest of 2019. She suffered a hairline fracture in her right foreleg. She will miss 90 days of training. Should be back to 100% though. Overall, 6 for 7 and 4 for 4 this year. A four-time graded stakes winner and a grade 1 winner. Lots of negatives in this bit of news. Amalfi Sunrise, grade 2 Sorrento winner. She's going to miss the Del Mar debutante. Connections are not sure how long she will be out. They have some diagnostic work coming this week. Might be the tibia. It seems like her. Um, she was a little sore on the behind. It's unfortunate, right? Just in this little bit of news, we've got Catholic Boy not running. Omaha Beach illness Photo finish controversy Concrete Rose out for 2019 And Amalfi Sunrisings hurt Ugh Bad bad bit of news Del Mar Thursday August the 21st Race number one I don't love But I just want to mention Or excuse me August the 22nd Because today is August the 21st But we're going to be talking about the Thursday, August the 22nd Just a couple races The first race I, I want to mention The one, um, the 6 South Boot Shirley Now I like South Boot Shirley In this spot She's going to go second start of the year Second off the bench She actually broke on top and she battled in between She pressed GQ Govergirl Then she faded but she had every right to get a little bit tired because South Boot Shirley had not raced from December of 2018 to August. She was fifth. She's only beaten four lengths. It really was not that bad of an effort. And I think she has the ability to sit off the pace, and I'm expecting her to sit off the pace. I think she was probably just a little bit fresh and got caught up in it early on last time out. But there's no other speed in this race, right? It really just looks like GQ Govergirl is going to be pretty tough on the front end. So I think O'Neill has a really strong hand in here And I'm, I'm just going to use those two Like if you want to play If you're playing an early pick 5 Or if you're playing an exacta Just play it with a 3-6 And a, a few bucks to win on the 6 If the 6 is around 5-1 to one. I wish there was one other horse Like if swirling from the rail Had a little more speed To help soften up GQ Covergirl Then I'd really like South Boot Shirley Sitting from the outside But I think GQ Covergirl is going to be tough in here so let's use those two in some of your early exotics. The play that I really like is in race number two. Let's go to the number five, Caressa. Caressa debuted behind, in, in March 30th, behind My Miss Rose, who won next out a, a stakes race, was put up via DQ in a stakes race. There were three next out winners in that race. My Miss Rose, who won a stakes next out, the eighth place finisher, won a maiden special weight on a, going a mile on the grass next out, and the ninth place finisher won a maiden 65 claimer at Churchill Downs. In that race, she drew post nine, very wide draw. She broke a bit slow, but she's hooked four wide. She makes a slight bit on the outside up to within a few lengths before fading. But tough post, career debut, going six furlongs behind three next out winners. April the 12th, second out. Again, a wide post to deal with. And that means she's forced to go. So from that wide post, she has to show more speed. And then she ends up 
getting forced five wide. Five horses line up across across the track. She's the fifth of them. Five deep, battling it out, has absolutely no chance with that kind of a trip. And in that race, there were four next out winners. The second place finisher, Honey from the South, won a maiden special weight next out, and then was second against optional first level allowance. The third place finisher, Into Chocolate, won a maiden special weight next out, then was second in the first level allowance, and then was third in the grade three, Tory Pines. The fourth place finisher, Hang a Star, won next out, a maiden special weight, was put up via DQ. Fifth place finisher, won a maiden 50 next out, then was second against optional 50, then was second in a 50 starter allowance. And then in that debut race, the horse was fifth, Miss Ava's Union. She just came back on August the 16th at Del Mar to win a maiden special weight. That wasn't a next out race for Miss Ava's Union. That was her second start since the race that she comes out of with Caressa. And she earned a made uh, a buyer speed figure of 80. So we have a Philly who had legitimate trouble, tough posts, both starts. Now goes two sprints to a route for a barn who's been good as of late with fresh horses. They've won with three of their last 10 starting off of this type of a layoff, the 61 through 180 day layoff. She's going to stretch out for the first time, Caressa, two sprints to a route. Her dam, I play tricks, was 10 for 25. And in races at a mile or a mile and a 16th, there were seven of them where the dam went the mile or the mile and a 16th. She won six of them and one third with four stakes wins. The barn, the sheriff's barn, they're just one for 19 at the meet, but six seconds and three thirds. So they've been a little bit unlucky. They're due for just a couple more victories in order to even those numbers out. How about Victor Espinoza? He had a horrible start to the meeting. He's six for his last 14. He won with two horses on Friday, one on Saturday, and he won with his last three mounts on Sunday. He was four for 48 to start, and he's six for his last 14. You have a hot jockey, a barn who's good in this scenario with the fresh horses, and they're due for a little bit of luck. Two sprints to a route, stretch out for a dam who was better going long. Legitimate trouble in a couple starts, exiting a couple very live races. I mean, there are tons of things to like about Caressa. If we get seven to two on her, she is worthy of a win wager. That's how you pick a horse, win or lose, right? When you like a horse, you got to have a lot of reasons why you like that horse. It's all about the process. It's all about the handicapping, the research that you do. It's not about, oh, this horse is dropping in class or, oh, she's got a little bit of speed. You got to demand a little bit more. When you're handicapping Have a lot more in depth Because this is your money here Unless you're finding A lot of reasons to bet on a horse Don't don't throw your money away On a on an angle That's just eh Win or lose, Caressa, we've got a lot of reasons To like this filly A lot of reasons to expect improvement In a small field Let's close things out with a little wrestling talk NXT will be airing live on USA Starting September the 18th Wednesday, 8, 7 central Two hours live from Full Cell in Orlando They will be going up against All Elite Wrestling They'll be battling AEW Some takeaways from Monday Night Raw Corey Graves was on vacation So we had Jerry Lawler and Renee And Michael on the on the mic And then later on in the, uh, in the show We had Vic Joseph come in Started out with Dol- uh, Dolph Ziggler versus Roman Reigns A fine match To kick things off we had a Becky promo addressing Sasha Banks. She's looking at the camera. I like the promo from Becky. It was very intense. Next, we had Jerry Lawler in the ring. He was talking King of the Ring. The lights go out. 
He says, I know what's happening. He starts to leave the ring. And the fiend ends up attacking him on the stage. Just a, a, a slightly different appearance, right? Not the same every week where the, the fiend just comes out and attacks someone in the ring, gives Jerry Lawler the mandible claw. It was Braun versus AJ for the US title next. The OC attacks Braun and Seth comes out for the save. He talks to Braun backstage. They want a challenge for the, the tag titles. First round, King of the Ring matchup. Samoa Joe versus Cesaro. A hard-hitting match that is won by Samoa Joe. Rey Mysterio comes out. He teases his retirement. He's about to hang up the mask because he can't stop Andrade. And, and then his son, Dominic, stops him. They have a good moment. This was a great promo from Rey. He was very serious. You could tell he was taking this retirement tease serious. But he agrees with his son. He wants to, they're going to partner up. And he does not take off the mask. And he does not retire quite yet. We have a New Day revival match that is interrupted at the end by Randy Orton, who comes out of nowhere with an RKO to Big E. And then a brutal beatdown of Xavier Woods while Orton holds down Kofi and he makes him watch while the revival injure Xavier's leg, just like they injured Kofi's leg a few years back. So they make Kofi watch. While they injure Xavier's leg like they did to him a few years ago. I love this Orton and Revival mixing. They had a tandem offense, uh, offensive maneuver where they had like a team RKO, which was great. They fit. They really fit together. Sasha had a short little sit-down interview, but then she kind of said what she wanted, dropped the mic, and walked out. Our second King of the Ring first-round matchup on Monday was Sammy, uh, Sammy Zayn versus Cedric Alexander. Cedric with... The pretty quick victory. Natalia is cutting a promo that is then interrupted by Sasha Banks, who beats down Natty, gets her arm, shoves it in the door and in a drawer, and starts banging it in. Natty's arm still in the sling. Show closes with Braun and Seth versus the OC for the tag team championships, and Braun and Seth are your new tag team champs. But you can tell they're teasing that they're going to blow up soon, and this will lead to a Braun Seth storyline. Who's going to turn heel though? Braun or Seth? Smackdown, David Otunga was announcing with Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton. Show opens with Randy Orton in the ring cutting a promo about how stupid Kofi is. He's running him down and then all of a sudden the New Day's music hits. Orton's looking around and Kofi comes from behind with a trouble in paradise out of nowhere. He's setting Orton up to try to break his leg with the chair. When the Revival come out for the save Kofi gets the better of them You guys hear Bug, my little Boston Terrier Snoring in the background She's laying next to me while I record A little snoring Roman Reigns, they were running that storyline all throughout the show About you know who hit Roman Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan Have found the guy They have a guy, random guy in a black hood They brought him backstage He's sitting in a room backstage Everyone's waiting to find out who it is did not like the way Kevin Owens came off on this episode of SmackDown. He's basically begging Shane McMahon not to fire him. He looked really soft. The opposite of how Stone Cold Steve Austin used to look. If that's the angle they're going with, with KO. King of the Ring matchup. Andrade beats Apollo Crews. This match was okay. It was fine. Andrade moves on. Looks like we're going to get a Bailey charlotte match coming up. As Bailey and Charlotte had a little back and forth on the Alexa Bliss talk show, Moment of Bliss. Bailey ends up pushing her down, and it looks like we're going to get Bailey Charlotte at Clash of Champions. Last week, we saw Buddy Murphy 
versus Roman Reigns. This week we saw Buddy Murphy versus Daniel Bryan, and Buddy Murphy beats Daniel Bryan, even with Rowan interfering. It was a uh, really, really good match that Buddy Murphy wins, and then we come back from a commercial and backstage, Bryan and Rowan have been attacking Buddy Murphy. The Revival beat Heavy Machinery. Chad Gable cuts a promo. He's going to be facing Shelton Benjamin next week. Everyone's making fun of his size and he looks like a little kid. There was a joke uh, on on the locker room door that you must be this tall to enter the King of the Ring and it was taller than Chad Gable. Miz TV and Sammy De- Zayn comes out and he debuts himself really as the new mouthpiece for the IC champ Nakamura. This has been one of the issues with Nakamura. He can't really connect as much with the crowd because he can't cut these long promos, but now Sami Zayn can talk for him and be a mouthpiece for him. I like the idea of this pairing. We get more of Kevin Owens looking soft and interactions with Shane. We see Daniel Bryan and Rowan and that mystery man backstage again. Final King of the Ring matchup of the night, Elias versus Kevin Owens. Shane comes out in the middle of the match. He puts a ref jersey on. He gets involved and he is a fast count. To give Elias the win So it looks like more Shane and Kevin Owens Extending Kevin Owens is already out of the King of the Ring He's lost now back to back weeks I do not like the way Kevin Owens is looking right now And I love the way he was looking just a few weeks ago When when he was fiery And it looked like they were going with that Stone cold Kevin Owens angle To end the show They take the mask off the bearded man And it's a guy who just looks exactly like Rowan An unknown bearded man Who looks like Rowan so this is obviously a trick that Daniel Bryan is trying to play. We'll find out more next week. As far as the King of the Ring is concerned, four have moved on now. So Samoa Joe is on. He'll be facing the winner of Ricochet and Drew McIntyre. Cedric Alexander has moved on. He'll be facing the winner of Miz and Baron Corbin. Elias has moved on. He'll be facing the winner of Ali and Buddy Murphy. And Andrade has moved on. He'll be facing the winner of Chad Gable, Shelton Benjamin. I'm expecting it to be Joe Ricochet, Cedric versus Corbin, Elias versus Ali, and Andrade versus Gable. I feel like Buddy Murphy is going to continue to have more with this Daniel Bryan, Eric Rowan, Roman Reigns. And at some point soon, we're going to get a Buddy Murphy, Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan and Rowan tag match. That's going to do it. For this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, folks. If you can do me a big favor... Head on over and leave us a nice five-star rating and review if you can, please. Thank you oh so very much. And don't forget about our sponsor, Cindy Carava. We're going to tell you right about her next. When I started That's What G Said podcast, it was one of my goals to talk about a bunch of different subjects, interview different people in order to best connect with you. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're into sports or pop culture or history or music or movies or TV, I want to make sure to entertain you. And that's why I think I'm a good fit with Cindy Carava for a sponsor because it doesn't matter what you're interested in, you're going to help them be comfortable and find a home. Absolutely. And I nothing more makes me happy than helping somebody, um, whether they're purchasing or buying or leasing property. Um, I love working with everybody. and Even um, the non-Dodger fans? Even the non-Dodger fans. Okay, Angel yes. fans, you're still allowed. Yep. 
and uh, I just love what I do, and I'm really passionate about um, helping people exactly find the home of their dreams and helping that house become a home for them. Where can we get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me uh, on my uh, website, cindycarava.com. Uh, my email is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Or you can call, text me on my cell, which is 626-394-6400. And you'll hear plenty about Cindy on That's What She Said. So you want your daily dose.